Well, good morning, New Life students. How are you guys doing today? Good. I am so honored to be able to come and share with you, to talk with you. Thank you, Pastor Mateo, for giving me this opportunity. Um, If you guys have seen me around, some of you may have seen me uh, around a kids camp or some of those kinds of things. I've worked a lot with your parents. So that's probably why you have no idea who I am. Uh, Because I spend a lot of time teaching and working with the parents in our church. And uh, today we are continuing in our series Alpha and Omega. And I understand that last week you guys were talking about the story of Abraham and Isaac and that sacrifice that almost happened, but then God stepped in and did something very, very different. And today we're going to follow this family, the uh, first family, if you will, of our faith. So we have Abraham, his son Isaac, and do you guys know Isaac's son? Jacob, I good, I heard somebody. So Jacob, we're going to talk about Jacob today. And Jacob's one of the more famous characters in the Old Testament. But I want to remind you, he's not important and he's not in the story because he was a really good guy. In fact, Jacob is kind of rotten to the people around him. He doesn't treat people very well. And so he's not important because he's really good. He doesn't get written into the pages of scripture because he's a nice guy. His story is in there because it shows us how we are supposed to respond to God. And his story is important because through it, we learn something really significant about who God is. Jacob was a twin. Any of you have a twin? Of course you guys stood up together. Why wouldn't you? Very good. My dad's a twin. Um, Let's hear it for all the twins. No. (laughs) Jacob is a twin. His brother's name is Esau, and Esau was born first. Who's born first? (laughs) Bragging rights, right? And you never, ever, ever remind him of that, do you? No, never. Esau was born first, but something really interesting happens when Esau and Jacob are being born. See, Esau comes out first, but as he's being delivered, his little baby brother Jacob is holding on to his heel. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about that. In those days, the the phrase to grasp someone's heel or to hold on to someone's heel, it was actually a word picture for being deceptive crafty and unfaithful. So this isn't a very good start for Jacob, is it? In fact, he gets the name Jacob because it sounds like the Hebrew word for heel. So his own parents recognize the significance of this moment. In a culture where your name means everything, your name kind of sets the course for your life. Here Jacob is named Jacob because of this inauspicious start, this beginning where he's grabbing on to his brother's heel. So it's a play on words. And like I said, it it connotes this idea of being deceptive or untrustworthy or unfaithful. In fact, that's exactly who Jacob is. Twice, he tricks his brother in really significant ways. Once, he steals the birthright from him. That means he steals the right to the inheritance of Isaac's house from his older brother. 
So as the older brother Esau would have been the one to inherit everything and then take care of his family when his father Isaac passed, and Jacob finds a way to trick Esau, and he steals it from him. And then, as Isaac is getting old and he wants to bless his oldest son Esau, Jacob tricks his father Isaac and steals the blessing that was intended for his brother. In fact, Esau gets fed up with Jacob so much so he decides he wants to kill him. And he actually says this in Genesis 37:26, "No wonder his name is Jacob, for he has cheated me twice now." Can you imagine? No wonder his name is Jacob. Mom and dad got this one right. That little kid holding on to my heel when we were born together, he's been doing that his entire life. In the book of Hosea, it actually mentions this as well, and it says that Jacob was a trickster from birth. Now what's interesting to me, though, is that the name Jacob, it sounds like the Hebrew word for heel, so the connotation is this deceptive trickster, unfaithful, untrustworthy person, but that's not actually what the name Jacob means. The name Jacob actually means, may God protect you. Now, how does it mean that it actually is derived from the same concept of a heel? The word literally means follow closely on the heel of God. Any dog lovers in here? You guys take your dogs out for a walk? No? <laughs> okay. Okay, you take your dog out for a walk. Where do they stand? At your heel, right? No? Okay. I should have known. When your dog goes on a walk with you and it stays by your heel, it's protected by you. Right? It's safe. So may God protect you. May you follow closely on the heel of God. This is actually what Jacob's name means. And so although Jacob frequently stabs those who are closest to him in the back, he also seems to live his life with this awareness of his dependence on God for his protection. And so after this big trick where he steals the blessing from his father and takes it from, it was supposed to be for his brother and he takes it from him, Esau's ready to kill Jacob. And so Jacob runs away. And then Jacob ends up getting a taste of his own medicine. He runs off to his uncle and he spends some time with his uncle and all his uncle does for 20 years is tricks him and deceives him and backstabs him. And so after a lifetime spent tricking people, Jacob decides it's time to make up with his brother and return home. But during that journey home, he has this really strange encounter. Let's put the passage up on the screen. This comes from Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 24. Jacob has come to a river, and he's got his family and all his possessions with him, and he's terrified. The next day, he knows he's going to meet Esau, and he hasn't seen Esau in 20 years. But the last time he saw Esau, Esau was ready to kill him. 
Okay, so imagine how he's feeling here. He gets all his possessions across the river. He gets his family safely across the river. And he stays behind on the other side for a minute just to gather his thoughts. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody shows up. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Anyone who ever says the Bible's boring has never actually read the Bible. Because there's all these weird, random stories in here like, where did this guy come from? I don't know. Why are they wrestling? And why did they wrestle all night? This man shows up and he wrestles Jacob. And they're wrestling and they're fighting and they're struggling together. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. So he basically sprains his hip. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now here's where this story gets interesting. Jacob is given a new name, Israel. Now, Israel, E-Sarah-El, it has at its root the idea of struggling. Sarah is the Hebrew word for struggle. Do we know any other characters in the story around Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are named Sarah, Sarah, Struggle. E, Sarah, L. L is the word for God. Now what's interesting here is this means that Israel, Israel, the name means God struggles. God struggles. And God is the subject of this name. And even though God is the subject of this name, it's given to a man. It's given to a person. It's given to a person who struggled, who persevered, and who endured. Life is full of struggling. It's full of difficulty. It's full of pain and suffering. We're going to learn something really significant here, but not from the book of Genesis. We're going to flip all the way to the end now and go to the book of Revelation. And we're going to find out two things. Number one, we all still struggle. From Genesis to Revelation, people struggle. But we're also going to learn that there's something really significant in the name Israel. God struggles too. Now, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches in what are modern-day Turkey. And these seven churches were real churches filled with real people, and they had real situations going on. All of these churches had specific struggles that John knew about. And as Jesus is speaking to these seven churches through John, he's writing to them and he's saying, I know, I know. I know that you have people who are trying to make you change what you believe. I know that you are left out in your community, in your neighborhoods. 
because of what you believe. I know that many of you are dealing with hostility from your government because of what you believe. Some of them were even facing false teachers from inside their own churches who were trying to get them to compromise their beliefs. Some of these churches were doing a really, really, really good job battling, but they were getting worn down and tired from the constant struggle. And others were just trying to figure out how to be a Christian in the world in which they live. Does that sound familiar? These seven churches were going through it, through real struggle, through real difficulties. And yet in spite of these difficulties, Jesus promises great rewards to all of those who remained faithful and who persevered until the end. He says to these churches, listen, if you will overcome, if you will persevere, if you will continue to struggle and continue to wrestle and continue to fight and not give up, you will have eternal life. You will have blessings. You will receive authority and recognition in heaven. And he tells them something really significant. He says, you won't always struggle. Someday, you will have stability, security, and peace. So despite everything they were going through, their perseverance was not going to be in vain. What's fascinating to me is if you do a deep dive on each of these struggles and promises, this is in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, if you want to go back sometime and take a look at it. And at the end of each of these letters to the seven churches, God gives a promise to this church. It says, if you overcome, here's what I will give you. And every one of those promises specifically related directly to the struggle that they were facing in their church, in their community. And so the promise of God that we see beginning all the way back in Genesis when Jacob's name is changed from the one who tricks people, right? The one who knows he needs to depend on God for his protection. And his name is changed into God will do the struggling. And we see that all the way through the pages of scripture all the way to the very end when in Revelation, Jesus says, my promise to you is that I will be with you in the struggle and together we'll be victorious. Revelation chapter 21, verses six and seven. Jesus says to John, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. and I will be their God and they will be my children. Guys, I have bad news for you. It's not going to get easier. Life doesn't get easier when you get older. It's not going to be easier to be a Christian. You're not going to stop having pain. You're not going to stop having sorrow. Bad things will not stop happening to you. 
In fact, I promise you, there are rough moments ahead. And I love singing about God being victorious and God being sovereign and all of these kinds of things. But I'll tell you the truth. Can I tell you a secret? Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes with what you're going through, with real life happening, it doesn't feel like God is good. Sometimes the pain that you're experiencing, the sadness, the trouble, the difficulty, it's not good news that God is sovereign. Life hurts sometimes. It really, really does. But what I want you to know is that the God that we love the God that we serve, instead of just taking it all away, I wish sometimes he'd just take it away. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a place and I just wish, God, could you just end the suffering? Get me out of here. Take this away from me. That's not what Jesus always does. Instead, he says, I'll struggle with you. I will come down and I will stand next to you and we're going to cry together. Guys, like I said, I wish I could just tell you that everything's going to just be so perfect. All your problems are going to go away. One day, they will. One day, they will. But when you're in the middle of whatever it is you're going through, and you don't see a way out, I just want to remind you, God will be right there with you next to you. I'm going to share something with you. I'm going through a tough time. Life is not good for me right now. But I had a moment, a really, really powerful moment about a year ago and I'm holding on to it. See, I was reading a book and I came across a picture. It's a painting, a painting of Jesus on the cross. Now what's unique about this painting, it was painted in the 1500s and it was given to a monastery because the monastery had a hospital in it. And the hospital served people that had this really rare skin condition. It was life-threatening. Most of the people that entered that place would die. And so the man who painted this painting painted Jesus on the cross, but he put these sores all over his body so that when anyone in that hospital would look at the painting of the cross, you know what they would see? They would see that Jesus knows what they're going through. 
And I looked at that painting. And I heard God speak to me so clearly. He said, Ryan, I know what you're going through. Because you see, that's my son on the cross. He died. Ryan, I know what it's like to lose a loved one. Isn't that wild? God knows what it's like to lose someone. As I looked at that painting, I just started crying, weeping. Okay, God, I don't know why. I don't know why that had to happen. I wish it hadn't. I'd rather that wasn't a part of my story. I wanted God to just fix it. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know. But when I'm in the midst of situations where there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers, I have found the best thing to do is to hold on to what I do know. And here's what I do know. In the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my sadness and my hurt and my struggle and my difficulty, God says, I'll be right with you. I'll stand right next to you and I will cry with you and I will grieve with you. This is what he said to Jacob. You're done tricking people, Jacob. We're not doing that anymore. You can't treat people that way or you're gonna die alone without the rest of your family, right? This is a man who had to leave everyone he knew, everyone he loved. God says, I'm bringing you home, Jacob, but we're coming home under a different name. And I'm gonna be right there beside you, going through it with you. He said to those churches in Revelation, I know, I know, I know life is hard for you. But to the one who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So can we take a moment? You guys close your eyes. We're gonna pray. And here's what I want you to do. If you've come in to this place today, there's something I can tell about you. One of three things is true. You're either currently struggling with something, you just came through a struggle, or you're probably about to enter a struggle you may not even know about. So can we just take a moment and invite God into this place and pray that he'd open our eyes and help us to see him alongside us. Guys, I want to pray for you that God would just take it away, that he would end your suffering, 
that he would pull you out of it, that he would save you from it. And guys, he can. And sometimes he does. But when he doesn't, you need to know that he's still there. You don't need to repeat this prayer out loud. But in your heart and in your mind as I pray this, let this become your prayer as well. Heavenly Father, God who struggles with us and for us, Lord, be real in this place today. God, for these students, whatever is going on at home, if life is rough right now, Lord, I just pray that you would sustain them, that you would help them persevere and endure so that they can stand before you as an overcomer. Lord, give them eyes to see you present and at work in their life. May they feel your love and your compassion and your tenderness to them. Lord, for those who have recently come out of suffering, maybe they lost someone or something's going on at home with their family or with their friends, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them. Remind them a new day is coming. It won't always be like this. And Father, for those who are in a good place right now, life is, is good. Lord, we rejoice in that. We thank you for that. I pray that you would remind those of us in that situation that we still need to depend on you. We still need you just as much. And Lord, when that day comes, may we have eyes to see what it is that you are doing in us, through us, and with us. Heavenly Father, Father of compassion, God of all comfort, thank you. Thank you for being the sovereign Lord above all. Thank you for being the great big creator God. Thank you for establishing and ordaining our days before we even breathe the breath of life. Thank you for all of that, Lord. But right now, thank you. Thank you. That when our pain blinds us to everything else, you come down to us as one of us and struggle with us. Lord, we rejoice in that promise. The hope that we have that it will not always be like this, but also the promise that we don't have to go through this alone. So Lord, we rejoice in who you are this morning. We thank you and praise you, Father. And we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who did it.
who's the one who came down as one of us, became one of us, and suffered with us. Amen.